Hi, I'm Teresa, owner of T3Fit, and you're listening to the T3Fit podcast, where scoliosis warriors and professionals come together. Here we talk about our scoliosis journeys and the emotional components it takes on from being a parent to being diagnosed with scoliosis and sometimes leading to surgery. It's a place where professionals share their expertise of treatments, from physical therapy to surgery, and so much more. So let's get started. So before we get started today, I would like to ask you, are you that person who's been struggling to move with confidence and alleviate back pain? If you're feeling frustrated and overwhelmed, then make sure that you check out the link in the show notes where you can download your free tips to help you live pain-free. And with that, I would like to welcome our next guest to the show. Hi, welcome to the T3 Fit Scoliosis Podcast. On today's episode, we have Carlin Porter from, uh, she's on Instagram as The Curvy Truth. She is here to tell us her story with scoliosis and her journey and being fused. And she's also working with essential oils. Carlin, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I'd love to share a little bit of background of my experience with scoliosis and um, what I've learned over the years. So I was diagnosed when I was 13 years old with idiopathic scoliosis. Okay. And it was during just a routine physical, I was switching schools. So just a part of going, uh, moving from one state to another state. Uh, they had me go to the nurse and they did a, a what do they call it? Um, Toe touch. Yeah, the toe touch thing, and I couldn't touch my toes, and so they said that's fine as far as you can, as you can reach. And I remember my stepmom; she was in the room with me, and her jaw dropped because she could see um, from where she was sitting the curves because I have an S curve. Okay. Um, and at that point, it was obvious to the eye once once I bent over, but not obvious to an untrained eye just looking at me. Okay. Um, so from that point, I wore, I, I started seeing specialists and they had me wear a brace at night. Uh, so I wore the Milwaukee brace and the Charleston brace, um, again, just at night. And then the curves kept progressing. And so I ended up having a spinal fusion surgery at 15. So in the course of two years, we learned that I had scoliosis to having the fusion surgery on my lumbar curve. Do you remember what your curves were when you were originally diagnosed? I don't. I don't remember the numbers, but I know that they were high. So I, I feel like it was in the 40s and 50s. Okay. Um, maybe as low as the 30s, but they were they were always considered significant. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then within that two two year period, and did they do any? Did they consider any type of physical therapy for you during that time? I did a little bit of physical therapy my hamstrings were really tight. So they had me meet with a physical therapist. And I remember she walked me through these exercises that she wanted me to do every day, three times a day for the rest of my life. And they worked really well. Well, I did get to the point where I could touch my toes. Okay. But as, as far as like doing anything for my back, I think the thinking was because there is such a, a 
direct relationship between the hamstrings and the lower back mm -hmm. that stretching out those muscles is I think good for the body overall. Um, but I've learned even as an adult, just asking anyone to do something every day is kind of setting them up for failure. Yeah, it, it has to, there has to be a point of what's realistic. Mm -hmm. And may I ask you, what state did you live in during that time when you were, when they found, when you were diagnosed? I was living in Michigan at the time outside of Detroit. Okay. And then we moved to Ohio. So my doctors and my specialists that I saw were all in Ohio. Okay. And was it, did, was it easily accessible for you in Ohio to find these specialists or did you kind of had to like do a full research on finding somebody? I will say, so my dad, he, he's a physician, he's retired now. Okay. Um, and so we had moved for his job. And so since he was kind of like in the medical world, I think that I had a easier time in that regard. Mm -hmm. So I did see, I believe it was like a pediatrician because I was still like young enough to see a pediatrician. Mm -hmm. And he monitored me up until a point. And then he was very open and honest. He was like, this is outside of my expertise and I want you to, to see the best. And so we ended up traveling about, oh gosh, how far? We lived in Lima. And then we had to travel to Dayton, which was about an hour away. Okay. And I would say, fortunately, my stepmom um, wasn't working. So she was able to take me to my doctor's visits. Um, and that was the closer office. And then the children's hospital that I had my surgery was in Columbus, which was a couple hours away. Okay. Okay. So you were diagnosed. And then about two years later, the curbs increased and you had your surgery. Yeah, so I, I think it was a, the standard every three months they were evaluating things and the curves just continued to progress. Okay. And how was it, how was it pre-surgery? Like what were you told? What, what did they explain to you? What do you, looking back, what do you feel that they didn't explain to you that you wish they had said to you or they wish you, they had said to your parents even? That is a great question. And what I've learned many years since then is the role and the purpose of wearing a brace. Cause I didn't really understand that. I just knew I had to wear it. I had to wear it at night. Um, and my thinking was I was wearing this brace so that the curves would get better. And what I've learned since then is in some cases, sometimes a brace is just intended to stop the progression just to kind of stabilize and see if we can keep it from progressing. Mm -hmm. um, and in nowhere in there did I think that them continuing to get worse, that the condition continuing to get worse was a scenario. Because as a teenager, I'm, you know, I'm doing these things and then things aren't getting better and I don't why, understand. Why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? Yeah. So, so they, so that was it. So you had the brace and it was like, okay, this is going to, I'm going to say air quotes, this is going to solve everything. Mm -hmm. And then when it didn't, what were you being told? That surgery was the best option given my age. They want you to do while I was still growing. Um, they wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be in a lot of pain as an adult. Um, some of the things that my parents shared with me later because they had to essentially make this decision for me mm -hmm. was that they had to think about what was best for Carlin. And so their understanding of these types of curves is that they can curve to the point where it starts pushing on your 
on your organs, you know, affecting your lungs, affecting your heart. So when you think about it in that context, then it really does become like a preventative no-brainer. Like we want to make sure that it doesn't get too bad. Um, and that's another learning for me is just like the bracing, mm -hmm. having the surgery, um, while it did straighten my spine and reduce the risk of moving those organs, mm -hmm. um, it did not address any underlying issues, like root causes of why is this even happening to begin with? And how did that make you feel? Um, well, at the time I'm like thinking, this is great. The surgery was a success. Um, I did have to wear a 24 hour brace, well, 23 hour um, brace after the surgery for six months. But okay. then I went on like everyone else for the most part, um, not recognizing that that was a very traumatic thing to go through. <laughs> and then for many years, I kind of had other symptoms creep up and everything was just like, we don't know why this is happening. Um, so it was when I was diagnosed with, well, not diagnosed, but um, they found a fibroid in my uterus. Okay. And while it's not uncommon for African-American women, my thing is I'm like, okay, well, that to me, I hear, um, well, my understanding was that it was a tumor. So if I hear anything related to tumor or cancer, I immediately uh, think food because you can address um, certain cancers with food mm -hmm. um, and removing or eliminating, you know, anything that could feed the cancer. Um, and then after that, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. This is several years later. So I'm getting, uh, I'm about 30 when I was diagnosed with autoimmunity, but that wasn't the first time I had heard that word autoimmune. And so that's, did they, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so I was just going to say, that's when I realized whatever has been going on in my body has been going on for a very long time. And I began to see scoliosis, not as the condition, but rather as a symptom of what was going on at an underlying level throughout my body. So do you feel that being, that having scoliosis, um, I just lost the word, having scoliosis uh, was the exposure that you needed to like, for all these other things to come up and be come to the surface? I would say it was one of many. So for me, it started as young as two years old. Okay. I would say that's when it first started because I had eczema. Um, okay. Then my eyesight, I'm not wearing my glasses now, but my vision is um, not good. <laughs> it's not 2020? Uh, it's not 2020. <laughs> it's not 2020 like we have perfect spines. <laughs> And again, yeah, so it's all like, um, I don't like comparing to like this normal. So it's like, it's one thing to have like curves in the spine and there are like mild cases of scoliosis. Mm -hmm. But again, like mine was very severe. So it's like, why are these things happening? And why were they continuing to happen in different areas of my body? So it was like issues with the skin, then issues with the eyes, then issues with the spine, then issues within like reproductive okay. organs. And then my thyroid, that's where I had the autoimmunity. Um, so in isolation, they seem like all of these random things. But mm -hmm. when I started like reading and researching and understanding about like nutrition and all of that, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, I, I'm one whole person. And I feel like the body, like science, like 
has these little sirens where they set off the alarm here and there. And if you mm-hmm. don't, if you don't listen, it'll, it'll just move to another until it can get your attention. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And I just want to uh, come back to the surgery. How long was your surgery? In terms of like hours. So I remember they prepped me that morning. Um, eight is coming to my mind. I can't remember exactly how okay. many hours it was, Okay. but during it, I know, and I don't have a memory of this, but they woke me up and did the whole like wiggle your toes kind of thing. Okay. And my parents were there though, um, before and then after, like they stayed in a, what, like a Ronald McDonald house. Okay. <laughs> Do you think, so how was it um, after you had the surgery and you had all these pre-existing things going on, did they see, they, they, they became, you became that much more aware of them post-surgery? Like they all just flooded to the surface? It was many years post-surgery. So right okay. after, and even before I had surgery, I didn't really have a concept of this, um, but I was small. Like I didn't weigh a lot. Okay. <laughs> and I think that that was exaggerated after the surgery because then I was taller, but still still very skinny. Okay. Um, so you were able to get height post, they gave you, um, they gave you like the mm-hmm. doctor, you gained height mm-hmm. post-surgery. Okay. Yeah, I want to say like a couple inches Nice. Yeah. And um, it was like, there was a lot that I couldn't do on my own for a little while. Like I couldn't walk to the bathroom. I have five sisters. And so like they would help me, you know, walk to the bathroom when I, when I needed, or if I came up and down the stairs, I really wanted to do things on my own. Mm-hmm. And I remember my stepmom would have a, a glass of milk. Um, Cause if I was lightheaded, she would have me drink milk if I wanted to do the stairs. Okay. That's great that you had five. That's a lot of support. A lot. Yeah. That's a lot of support. And then, so how long did it take you to, again, in air quotes, feel normal with your body? If you weren't able to walk, you know, on the stairs, on up the stairs on your own, how long was it until you were able to feel, how long was it until you were able to do that? And how long was it until you were able to feel confident doing it? Oh, okay. So I love all of these questions. <laughs> um, so my surgery was beginning of June and I would say my recovery was very quick. And I think that has to do with my age. Um, Cause by August I was at band camp doing what the other kids were doing, marching, all that stuff. Uh, Cause I played clarinet in the marching band. Okay. Um, so I would say from June to July was, um, challenge the most challenging part where um you know I needed help um walking and things like that and getting used to the brace Mm -hmm. but I would say towards the end of July early August I was feeling significantly better um to the point where I felt like I could go away um to band camp which was overnight but I did struggle a little bit because it was scary and kind of overwhelming, but I was physically able to do. Okay. And you had to wear the brace for six months post-surgery for 23 hours a day. Yes. Pretty much any time I was standing up, I had to be wearing the brace. So that included in the shower. And why, what was the reasoning for that? Do you remember? Um, I believe it is just to keep everything where it is uh, during the healing process to kind of like stabilize. Oh, interesting to hear everybody's different stories. And I think it obviously depends on your curves Mm 
Okay. And, um, and the orthopedic mm. and the orthopedic of, you know, who we go to, who we choose to trust our bodies with. And I don't know if this um, is a factor because I'd be very curious, like why it's different. So my fusion was L1 to L4. Okay. I'd be curious if it varies based on like where in the spine they do it. But okay. So you had the surgery and now we're just going to kind of jump a little bit further forward. You are involved in aromatherapy, if I understand that correctly. I am. Yes. Would, can you share um, how you got into that and how it interplays with your scoliosis story and your clients? Absolutely. So um, it was about, oh gosh, I, I do it based on my age okay? because <laughs> then I kind of know like where I was and what I was doing. So around when I was like 31, 32, that, and I was dealing with the thyroid autoimmunity and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's that's when I did a real big like overhaul of what I was eating and using food as medicine. And I was seeing an integrative specialist at the time. Mm -hmm. So she was monitoring me um, with blood work to help me heal from the inside. And the focus at the time was not scoliosis, but at the same time, I would, I'm always mindful of it. Mm -hmm. I always bring it up to the doctor, even though they never know what to do with the information. But I'm like, I think there's something here. Yeah. And so with that and doing that, a lot of healing work and doing um, yoga, like restorative exercise, really like letting my body rest because mm -hmm. it was very um, overactive. It was working really hard all the time, mm -hmm. um, even though I didn't notice, but I was tired. I was really, really tired. And during that time, I started becoming more active on scoliosis. Um, what do you call them? Scoliosis Facebook groups. Okay. And I had a blog where I would uh, just post about things that I thought was interesting about the condition as I was researching about it. Um, so I started like sharing more. And through that, I started to connect with women who understood what I was going through. And a, a woman that became a very close friend of mine, she shared with me her experience with essential oils. And I'd kind of been curious about them, mm -hmm. um, but there was something really specific that I felt like tied to the scoliosis, um, which is hormonal imbalances. That's something that I had heard that they know, like there's hormone imbalances, but I had never done anything to help that, to get back into balance or to know even what that means. Mm -hmm. But through my reading, progesterone, I was getting the, the sense that low progesterone was an aspect and progesterone and estrogen work inversely of each other so throughout, you know, your cycle, your monthly um, mm -hmm. rhythms, mm -hmm. your progesterone levels are going to change. And I talked to my doctors, like, I wanted to know what these numbers were, because it's like, how can you track something you're not measuring? Right. But again, that was like a foreign concept. And I was almost treated like I was crazy. Like, why would you want to track that? It changes. And I'm like, that's the exact reason I want to track it. Right. Um, so without diagnostic information, I had to rely on like my body. So when I was getting into essential oils and I learned about which ones can support your hormones, um, there's this one progestance plus, um, which has like, it's from yam. Uh, so it's like a naturally occurring progesterone. Okay. Uh, and then Clary Sage also known for supporting hormonal balance mm -hmm. for women. Okay. And when I started using them, I used to dilute them a lot because I just was 
unsure. And so the safest way, you know, is just diluted and kind of slowly build your way up. And then as I became more familiar with them, the more I felt comfortable with my own self, like knowing intuitively what was working for me and how I liked using them. And then once I got comfortable, like for, um, essential oils are such a safe way to do so many things in addition to just um, in addition to using them functionally for, you know, what any kind of like symptoms where you feel like your body might need support, mm-hmm. um, even just cleaning the house and being more aware of like reducing exposure to toxic chemicals or things that I don't know what's what they are. Yeah. That can be endocrine disruptors and throwing off my my hormones that are already out of balance. It is finding what works for you, what you truly enjoy like what makes whatever you're going through just a little bit easier so how do you with the aromatherapy how do you talked a little bit about the chemicals and you know what's Mm -hmm. what's so obvious in our environment going to any store to buy a cleaning product but what what are your go-tos like what are some of your favorite favorite oils for your body for if do you carry pain with your fusion that is a tricky question. So I, I feel like somewhere in my mind, I had to separate the pain that I've experienced from my scoliosis and my fusion, because I know the scoliosis is going to stay like it's, it's going to be there, mm-hmm. but the pain I want to believe I have control over. Um, so how it is for me is like, it's typically muscle tension when I'm very stressed in my unfused spine. So like up here in the shoulders okay. is where I carry a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. And I would say my favorite oil to use, and you have to dilute it because it's very, very powerful. It is peppermint oil. It is. It's an intense one. It's an intense one, but it, oh gosh, the relief. Yeah. When it relaxes all the muscles. When you talk about, this is, this is really interesting because you talk about the pain, Mm -hmm. but do you have, or did you, did you have, and do you have emotional pain with being fused? I mean, they're two, you know, they go hand in hand, but they're such different um, components of what we live with inside our bodies on a daily basis. Yes. And I might get a little emotional um, because it is a very real thing. Mm -hmm. And a part of it is, um, when you're diagnosed and as a teenager and by, for lack of a better word, by force, you're corrected in quotes, mm-hmm. fixed in quotes, mm-hmm. that it implies that there is something wrong with you yeah. that you cannot control. I'll cry with you. <laughs> so it's um, been a journey of self-acceptance and being able to, to know like who I am, because I'm not this condition Yeah. at a time when we're very vulnerable. We're teenagers, mm-hmm. but there's, there's that part of you that was that little girl who was told that in air quotes, something's wrong. And now you have become an adult mm-hmm. and you live with hardware and how is your pain now from that little girl to now? What has changed 
aside from having the hardware fused, what has changed for you emotionally as well as physically? I'm very proud of this change, or I would say the growth that has taken place because I had the opportunity to find my voice, a voice that I felt like I did not have then um, or that I didn't get a say in how I'm treated. Whereas now I feel that I am the expert on me and that I don't need to turn to others for answers, but rather where I need some assistance or guidance or help, mm -hmm. I, can, I can get that, but I don't put the power into someone else's hands. So I think it's a, a I got into a, a state of like codependency with the, the healthcare system, like someone else is going to fix my problems. Interesting. And now I feel so much better knowing that I have control over how I live my life, how I treat my body, how I take care of my temple. Um, and so like through mindfulness pra practices like meditation and yoga, sitting in silence, I can hear, I can listen to what my body is telling me. And it's taken steps into, cause I, I feel like I was out of balance, you know, mind body, mm -hmm. and then taking steps towards getting back into balance. I feel so much stronger and I feel comfortable. It's almost like giving myself permission. Like I had to give myself permission to speak up for myself. Even with that little girl to say and, it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And how is it? So you just talked about yoga and I've spoken with a lot of people about this with who, some who are fused, some who are not. Um, but how is it for you with yoga and being fused? What challenges are you having with your story and that type of movement? The whole world of yoga is like, it's so funny to me because we have this idea of what yoga is mm -hmm. and it really is for everyone and my yoga practice doesn't look like everyone else's yoga practice. Um, and that is because I'm doing it correctly. <laughs> so when I go into class and I'm modifying and I modify a lot, um, one for my scoliosis, cause I have the fusion. So mm -hmm. like you said, like for me, when they guide you to stand up and roll like one vertebrae at a time, like I can't do that. That's, it's just not, <laughs> it doesn't move. Yeah. The hardest is like when some teachers, they want to correct you. Um, and while their intentions are good, it's like, okay, yeah, my body's a little different. <laughs> Exposure to yoga, to going to class. I took a yoga for scoliosis class. I lived okay. in Chicago at the time. So in that class, it was very mindful. Even before you took the class, the teacher did an evaluation of your spine so that you knew um, what to do Okay. Um, in terms of like modifying things mm -hmm. based on your curve. And then she would support you. And she knew kind of like what everyone, um, how everyone's spine was. Um, but then I tried to get a little sneaky. <laughs> And when I would go to like other yoga classes, sometimes I would tell the teacher I had a fusion 
Um, but then I got to the point where I didn't want to be treated differently. So okay. I stopped telling teachers. I stopped mentioning it. And there was one class, I took a Pilates class and the teacher came over and she kind of whispered, she's like, do you have scoliosis? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I can't hide it even when What'd I want you know? to. Because <laughs> she has like, you know, the people who have a trained eye, like they can just see it. Yeah, yeah. And and so was that, uh, was that a mat class that you took or was it reformer or tower? Reformer, I had the oh. machine. Okay, so you now live in Ohio? No, I'm in North Carolina. I move oh, around a little bit. Okay. So you're in a cell. Okay. So how has it been for you living in a cold state versus a warm state? After moving here, I cannot believe I lived in the Midwest for as long as I did. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of like, I guess like what's best for my body, I do think that I could use probably an even warmer climate. Okay. Um, but when, when I think about like being cold and being cold all the time and like the body just kind of gets stiff, you know? Yeah. Um, and being here where it's warmer, a little bit more humid, mm -hmm. um, my skin's not getting as dry. It's just kind of like easier. And, and have you come across, uh, do, here's a question. And I had this a while ago, when you're, you're in a warm climate, you're at the beach, when people see your scar, do they ask about it or does, mm -hmm. have you, has anybody ever come up to you and said, they see your scar, you're at the beach and they're like, Hey, do you have scoliosis? And they're like, me too. Oh, I wish that that had happened. Um, I always, I usually get, they're like, Whoa, what happened there? And I forget. I'm like, what are you like? It kind of scares me. <laughs> you're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, you mean, okay. Yeah. My fusion scar and mine's on my side. Okay. So okay. it's even, I think more confusing for people. So did you have any ribs taken out or cut or shaved? Nothing. They did my hip. Um, so they took a, a graft from my hip bone. Okay. And I didn't mention this, but that was another, I, I would say, uh, side effect of the fusion. Mm -hmm. I was numb all the way down my, like, it was kind of like the top of my hip down to just above the top of my knee. That was numb for a very long time. <laughs> Interesting. And did they prepare, did they say that that would occur? Did they say that that might happen? Or was it just kind of like you got sucker punched? Kind of felt like, yeah, that was a surprise. And they mentioned, you know, very casually just, you know, nerve endings to get cut, like it's no big deal. And if like, it was like bumped and I, I had my spatial awareness wasn't great. Uh, so I would kind of bump into things. And so if I bumped that side and you get like this, like tingles that like, it's just, I would freeze because <laughs> mm. it's like all this sensation. And it has since recovered since then. It has, mm -hmm. okay. or at least to the extent that I can perceive. So I would say I have majority of the feeling back. Um, I think on my hip itself, it, I imagine if I hadn't had that done, I could probably feel it more, but um, I would say just factoring in everything, um, it really is almost as if it never happened. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Interesting. There's, it's, it's so interesting with all the stories that I am hearing through doing this podcast and everybody's experience of, you know, what, what components happen during it, before it, afterwards, and years down the road. 
you know, years down the road. But, and I think with those of us that have been fused as teenagers, we all carry the same emotional component like surgery and that's it. And we're kind of left for the, we're left in this space of vulnerability and helplessness. Even when we have parents who stand behind us, Mm -hmm. it's still like something's taken away and we have no control over it. Mm -hmm. We have no control over it. Um, Can you give us a little bit more about the aromatherapy and how, if somebody's in, you talked about with the trap area that using diluted, let's make that very clear, diluted (laughs) peppermint oil. Yes. Um, (laughs) What, what other, uh, what other suggestions if people are having pain or discomfort Mm -hmm. Um, what other suggestions would you put out there for them to just kind of do their own research? They can reach out to you, but like, if they're like, I have this, what would you, if they want to be grounded, for instance, Mm -hmm. what would you? uh... Yeah, I I would say for that emotional support is really important. Um, And there is research uh, on scoliosis patients and their parents that identifies depression and anxiety in the parents, and then also depression and anxiety in the patients, which I find fascinating. So for that emotional support, I think that is even more important for us. And there's one that I like, it's a blend, it's called If you like this episode, chances are there's someone else out there who needs to hear it too. So it would be a huge favor to me if you'd go ahead and give us a five-star review. It helps me get the message out to more people. And if you need help moving in pain, then download my five free tips and I'll catch you on the next episode.